Well, hey, Westside, so glad that you're joining us today. Uh, For those of you that are here in the chapel with us, um, this is actually one giant experiment, and men are getting ready to run into the room. No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's different, and it's weird, but we thank you so much for joining us. If it's your first time here at Westside, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on. As Miss Nikki and Tyler have talked about, we are actually in Atlanta, Georgia. We are a part of a family and network of churches. And so we are actually um, receiving training. Our board has been um, meeting with other board members for the past couple of days, staff members. It's been an incredible time. And, and let me just tell you, Westside's been on a journey uh, for about four or five years to find a like-minded network of family and churches. So for us, this weekend is really like a family reunion. And so we are so sorry that we couldn't meet you in person, but so thankful that you have chosen to worship with us. If you're viewing this online, this is sort of like back in the COVID days, if you will. So please just continue to follow along. Drop uh, comments there in the comment section. Share this on your newsfeed and interact with us um, just like you would. We've been in a series entitled New Year, New Family. And basically what we are doing is we are pausing at the beginning of this new year and Westside is full of growing families, new families, established families. We are a church that has committed ourselves to the family. But we are believing that in this series that God is going to do something new. And what we said the goal really is um, in this series is twofold. It's to break down old foundations and to build up new foundations for your family. So what we have been learning is, is that all of us have inherited, um, you know, sort of old foundations, if you will, either unspoken or unconscious value systems in our family of origin. And, and just like in that verse there in Joshua, Joshua tells the people of Israel, you have to stop serving the gods of your fathers in the past, and you have to serve the Lord. So, so we've been breaking down old foundations, but you can't just break down. You can't just remove. In order for there to be change, it's twofold. You have to remove some things, and then you have to replace the old with the new. So we've said that we have been building up new foundations for our family. And we really have defined what a family or, or house. Actually, there in the passage, Joshua uses a particular word. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and last week, we, we sort of broke down with an acronym just because I'm a simple man. This is the way I learn. I'm a simple man, Jenny, but I know what love is, okay? So this is what house is. Um, a house is holy, obedient, united, serving everyone. Listen, th- this is just a direction for you and your family. So, so for some of you, you're first-time parents, you're newlyweds, or maybe you're single, or maybe you're dating. Maybe you're in established family, and you're like, listen, I know that my family is supposed to be built on the Word of God. I know that my family is supposed to have a direction. I just don't know what the direction is. Like, I get on Pinterest, and I see, like, live, love, laugh, and I just see all this stuff. What is the direction for my family? This is the direction. It's holy. 
And we learned that what holy means is just separate. It means distinct. That the Christian home is distinct and separate from the rest of the world. Secondly, obedient. Jesus says that if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And listen, we spent a lot of time on this last week. What we have said is, is that in the Christian home, we don't obey so we will be loved and accepted. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. That is bad news. You know why? Because we're never fully obedient. Jesus put the word love before obedience. So we said in the Christian home, we do not obey so we can be accepted. We are accepted. Therefore, we're free to obey. So the third thing is united. And one of Jesus' prayers that he asked the Father his last night on earth is that he would make that fellow Christians would be united. That's what makes the family system and a Christian home so powerful is that they are united around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then we said S, serving. That literally our job uh, when it comes to uh, raising kids, like, like think about this, it's, it's really difficult because you spend your whole life serving that kid and then you're like, it's not about you. And the kid's like, what? Like you've, like you've cut the crust off my PB&J, you've done, like it's what's difficult. But we said that in the family system that everybody serves everybody. It's about service. Why? Because Jesus served us. And then lastly, this, everyone. That, that we looked in the scriptures as to how dangerous it is in the family. That when there's favorites or when there's a value system and these people get this and these people don't get this. Or how about this, in blended families? Like, like the sentence, um, well, you're my son, but, but you're not. Listen, that's all bad news. The, the Christian home does not operate that way, that we are all saved by the grace of God. And we said this, that the reason why everyone is so important is because God uses the family to reach the world. That's always been the plan. All the way back from Abraham, remember that old guy who when he was like 80 years old had a kid? And God said, through your family, I'm going to bless the world. So listen, that's what we're defining as a house, as a home. And, and this week I want to do something a little bit different. And um, maybe, maybe this illustration will help. Um, I'm a fan of, of sports, though I am not athletic myself. I tend to read books more than I do, like throw a ball or anything like that. But one of the things that I love is I love watching like competitive fighting or boxing or something like that. I just think it's one of the oldest sports like ever in the world. And it's so epic when like two guys and now they have like girl fighting in the UFC. And I'm not going to lie. Girls, you're mean. Okay, those fights are like way more brutal. But like when I think back about some of the greatest fights of all time, uh, maybe you think about this, like the Thrilla in Manila. I mean, you have got 
arguably the greatest fighter ever, Muhammad Ali fighting Joe Frazier. This was the third fight. My dad said that this was so epic when this was on TV. Or um, how about this to fast forward a little bit? Mike Tyson, the baddest man on the planet, fighting Evander Holyfield. And then little did we know that this was going to turn into a cannibal match and Mike Tyson was going to bite Evander Holyfield's ear or maybe uh, crossing lines a little bit into the UFC. This is the highest selling pay-per-view in all of combat sports when Conor McGregor fought Khabib Nurmagomedov um, fighting. Or how about this? How about one of the greatest fights in all of history? Because of this fight, right? I hope they teach this in school, that when Rocky fought Drago, it literally ended the Cold War, right? Right? I mean, we didn't go to war because Rocky won, right? No, I mean, it's an incredible fight. But um, I would say that, yeah, when we think about the greatest fight of all time, maybe some of those make your list. But those aren't the greatest fights of all time. Um, there is one fight that literally from the foundation of the earth has been continuing. It is the greatest fight in all of human history. And, and our big idea today is very simply this. The greatest fight is the fight for the family. The greatest fight is the fight for the family. Now, I could give you all types of statistics, like the family unit in the 1970s, somewhere around 83% of American homes had both parents and the children in the home. And nowadays, it's somewhere around 63% only have to parents in the home. I mean, I mean, we could go down this path. We could say what the culture says. Your average TV show that doesn't have a dad in it, or if it does have a dad, he's an idiot and the dog's smarter than him. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we can all agree on this, that everybody has an opinion as to what the family is supposed to be like. And at the end of the day, we have seen that from the foundation of the world, that there has been a fight for the family. Now, there's a particular word in this sentence that completely changes it. And that it's we're saying that the greatest fight is the fight for the family. It's for the family, to champion, to cheer for the family. I think a lot of us would say, well, Pastor Jason, that's a great sentence. But I would say uh, in my home that the greatest fight is the fight in my family, right? I think that we would remove the word for and we would put the word in there. Because even on your way to church today, you were like, I mean, we duped it out round six just right out there in the parking lot before we came into church. A lot of us would say that we fight in our family but we don't fight for our family. So what I want to do today is I want to look at what does it look like to fight for our family? What if all of the energy, the time, the thoughts, all of that was put into fighting for the family rather than fighting in our family? What do we need to know? That, that if we are going to champion and cheer God's word and define our family by God's values, how do we fight for the family? I just think there's three quick things, and the first thing is this. 
Every family has an enemy. Okay, you need to know this. Every family has an enemy. And really quickly, it's not like your mother-in-law or your drunk uncle. Or Okay, it's not an enemy that is in the family. But every family has an enemy. You see, the scriptures teach this a lot, that for God's people, that there is opposition. And, and, and can I just wait really quickly and, and say something here? A lot of you are newly married and, and, and you're raising kids, or maybe you're in the teenage years, or maybe you're an empty nester, or maybe you're dating. No matter where you're at, I think all of us would agree if we were sharing a cup of coffee, we would say this, that building a family is really hard. And, and sometimes it feels like that there's something working against our family. That even right now, Pastor Jason, at the beginning of the year, we're all doing the Bible reading plan, we're doing stuff, we just did the kids' side thing, and we're all learning and doing it. But it seems like there is opposition against our family. And can I say this really quickly? There is. It is hard because there is an enemy for every family. Um, this is what the scriptures say. In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul would say this. Finally, he's ending his letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There it is, diablos, right there. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Can we pause for just a moment and say that this is a game changer. This changes the perspective that rather than fighting in your family, you have to fight for your family. And the way that you do that is you understand that there is an enemy for your family. And what's interesting is this word schemes, the schemes of the devil. We'll get into that in just a minute. But continuing on, 1 Peter says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Here it is, your adversary, your opponent, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, resist him, firm in your faith. Um, I mean, just for a moment, looking at this, if we were just to sort of etch and sketch this, adversary, the devil, prowls around. That literally our enemy is not stationary, but rather this enemy is going to and fro on the whole earth, looking and seeking out families to devour. I mean, that's intense language. Seeking someone to devour, resist him firm in your faith. Or how about this last one? John chapter 8, Jesus' words. You are of your father, the devil. Jesus is speaking to the religious elite right here. You are, the, you are of the father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now Jesus is even getting deeper. He's not just saying that every family has an enemy. Jesus is sort of letting us in on the game. This is the enemy's plan. He was a murderer from the beginning. 
and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Interesting. Next to last word, father of lies. Um, Every family not only has an enemy, but you have to understand something about the enemy. That, that the devil himself is very limited in power. He's not omnipresent, all-knowing. He does not have the same characteristics as God. A lot of us think that when we talk about spiritual warfare, that it's almost like a cosmic arm wrestling match. And like Jesus and the devil are duking it out, and what's going to happen? And then the over-the-top moment happens, and Jesus takes off his hat and turns it around. and does that. You see that movie? Okay, it's not like that at all. Actually, um, the greatest thing that the enemy does is, well, I heard another pastor say it this way, that whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. So the devil has a family, and it's a counterfeit family. And the whole purpose is to go around and to still kill and destroy. What's interesting, and what we'll get to in just a moment, when we see that in the very opening pages of Scripture, after God has created everything perfect, the first thing that the enemy attacks, well, here's the sentence, the first thing the enemy attacked was a family. Please listen to me. That is massively significant for us. That the first thing that the enemy, the opposition of God and everything that is good, holy, and perfect, that enemy's first attack was on the family. Um, It reminds me of this gentleman. This is a picture of son Tzu. When he was born in 544 B.C., his name was Sun Wu. And he was a Chinese general. Um, He is most famous for authoring this book, The Art of War, which, by the way, was one of Adolf Hitler's favorite books. This book, to this day, is still always in Amazon's top 100 bestsellers. I mean, it's crazy that everybody says that this book is literally the manual for wars and nations and strategy and all of that. But in it, Sun has this quote. If you know your enemy and yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not your enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. And then... If you know neither the enemy or yourself, you will succumb in every battle. That's good. But the first sentence is key. If you know your enemy, you've got to know this fundamental truth that every family has an enemy. Listen, that's why it's hard. That's why it's difficult. So then what are we to do? If we know there's an enemy, that's not enough. We saw it hinted a little bit in that Ephesians passage. And a lot of us think that when it comes to war and having an enemy, what we need to do is we need to overpower the enemy. But the reality is, is that's not the battle. Um, Here it is, point number two. The fight 
is about strategy, not strength. It's not a battle about overpowering. It's about strategy. Um, we'll see in just a minute that the enemy, Scripture describes as the, one of the most cunning creatures of God's creation, the enemy. Um, to say it this way is found in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul says, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if you have forgiven in anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Now here it is, verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Interesting. Like, yo, we could preach a whole sermon on these two verses because check this out. Paul's talking about unforgiveness here. And then he links unforgiveness to demonic activity. So, I mean, this is for free. This isn't even a part of the sermon. But it tells me this, that unforgiveness is demonic. That one of the best strategies for Satan in your family to rip it apart is to just open the door to bitterness and to strife and to unforgiveness. And then we find ourselves saying, I'm never, I am done with them. That's the last time I am never, they always... And then we're there. We've already lost. But what's interesting is that Paul says that we would not be outwitted by Satan. He doesn't say that we would be overpowered by Satan. Because it's all about strategy. It's not about strength. And it's so subtle. So what is really the strategy? Um, I'm going to lean pretty heavily on a guy by the name of John Mark Comer. He wrote a book entitled Live No Lies. It's a fantastic book. Add it to your list. And the book is about recognizing and resisting the three enemies that sabotage our peace. That literally the book is in parallel of what we're talking about. But the chapter about Satan and the devil is literally worth the price of the book. But in it, he says this. The scriptures tell us that God is love. And the devil is in rebellion against all that is God. Ergo, his intent is to wreck love. Like, I just think we need to pause and I need to read that again. Because this changes the game. Like when we think about the enemy, when we think about Satan, when we think about demonic activity in our family, we're thinking like poltergeist or the exorcist or like Ouija boards or like, oh my God, like that's where our mind goes. But think about this. Ergo, his intent is to wreck love. One relationship, one community, one nation one generation at a time. Hey, listen, why do you think our nation is falling apart? Because families are falling apart. 
Why do you think that it's so difficult now to hear employers say, man, it's so hard to find an employee that can work and who has character and who won't steal and who will show up because the family is falling apart. We said this at the very beginning of the series, the family is foundational to our formation. And if there is an enemy for every family, and it's about strategy and not strength, then the strategy of the enemy is to wreck love. That's how subtle it happens. That's how it creeps in to our homes. So, what do we need to know? Well, we've established that for every family there's an enemy, and that the enemy is about strategy, not strength, And the strategy is to wreck love, is to be in exact opposition to God. So, it would be really helpful if we could actually know the enemy's strategy. If we could actually peek into a battle and see what the enemy does. Um, If we could actually, if we're playing Battleship and I could just sort of peek over there and see what's on your screen, that would be great, right? Well, we can Guys, this is what's so beautiful about the Word of God. And here's one thing we know, that the enemy has no new schemes. It's been the same strategy from the very beginning. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3 in your Bible. Genesis chapter 3. I am going to read this passage and then we're going to walk through it. Okay? Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 and then let's drop down 1 through 7. Let's do that. Okay? Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed thick leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Listen, I believe that from those verses, we see the strategy of the enemy that has attacked the family from the very beginning. Listen, I believe that this outline is important enough for you to maybe write in the cover of your Bible. This is sort of like in case of emergency, break glass. Listen, if you are wanting to raise your family and build your house on the values and kingdom uh, and the values of God's word and his kingdom, then you need to know the enemy strategy. And this is the enemy strategy. The first thing is this, to doubt God's word. I mean, look, it's right there in the very first two verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, 
Um, by the way, in a couple weeks, we're going to get to roles of husbands and wives. Notice the enemy came to Eve. He didn't go to Adam. And there's a reason for that, and we'll learn that. Just get you on the edge of your seat and just offend you before the sermon. But the woman, and, and then he says this, did God actually say you should need of the tree in the garden? I mean, look at how subtle that is. When we think, when we think about spiritual warfare, we think that the devil is going to come to our door, knock, and there's going to be a pitchfork and horns and the tail, and he's going to have like um, a bunch of liquor and a bag of black tar heroin, and he's going to be like, I'm here to tempt. Like, we think it's going to be something so overt and so obvious that we're like, oh, that's the enemy. A very simple question. A very simple question. Did God actually say? This is where it starts. Um, that some of you who are raising a family God's way, you, you're already experiencing this. That, that maybe you're a Christian home and, and you've got your kids and, and you're hanging out with some friends and, and maybe those friends don't love Jesus. You love those friends and they're created in the image and likeness of God and you would say, man, they're good people. They're my friends. They just don't love the Lord. And maybe there's a moment that happens in parenting and you sort of do something a certain way and, and then your friends are like, why'd you do that? What? Why did you just handle the situation that way? And then you say, well, we're just kind of trying, we're learning that in the scriptures, and then here it comes. Really? Oh, so you're going to be like one of those crazy fundamentalist parents, like no Harry Potter, or, and we're not talking about that. But it's, you're already feeling that tension, and then maybe you and your wife have a conversation and you go, you know, like, I mean, do we really have to, do our kids really need to, I mean, with our money, is it, I mean, I know, but does it really say, I mean, our, it's so blatant in society now that, that the question that the world would ask is, I mean, is that really a family? What really defines a family? It starts with doubt. It starts with the subtle questioning of God's word. And then the second thing is this, distorting God's word. First you doubt it, then you distort it. And, and this comes in Eve's response. Look at what she says in verses 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, here it is, you are in spiritual warfare. This is going down. Guys, by the way, if your wife is talking to the devil or a snake, you might want to interrupt that conversation. That's all I'm saying, okay? And so Eve is in the octagon. She is duking it out with the devil. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. By the way, we're going to get into this in the parenting aspect. How many trees did God say for them not to eat of in the garden? Question, question, question. And the survey says one. One tree. Here's a follow-up question. How many trees were in the garden? I don't know, but probably a lot, okay? Like a lot of trees. So we can already derive something from God's nature and character. There was one tree that God said no, and there were hundreds of trees that God said yes. Um, in parenting, it's very important, parents, for our kids to understand this. 
that our permission far outweighs our restriction. That we want to be the yes parents. That we want all of this for you. But there's one thing that God says no. And so Eve gets that part right. And then she says this, But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, if you just look at that at face value, looks great. Way to go, Eve. Eh, wrong. There's something wrong here. Eve added to God's word. Um, Charles Spurgeon says that, that the two great enemies of the faith are this. License, which is what the enemy wanted. Did God really say? You can do whatever you want. There's no such thing as consequences. And then the other temptation is legalism. Legalism is being stricter than God. Because this is what God actually said. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. There's nothing in there about touching it. By the way, it's probably a good idea not to touch something that you're not supposed to eat, okay? But the point still stands that Eve distorted God's word. So listen, it's a progress. Here's how it happens. I mean, does our family really need to be governed by God's word? I, I, is marriage really, is this what, is my dating life? And then when we continue down that path, we start to go, eh, I think it means, like anytime I hear that in a conversation, I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, danger, Will Robinson, danger, right? Because now all of a sudden we're theologians. Now all of a sudden it's like, well, I think um, God was very clear. It's a distortion. So the third thing that I see now is this, the denying God's word. You begin to doubt it. You start to distort it. And then you just outright deny it. Look at what the enemy says. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Um, question. We just read it from Genesis chapter 2. The enemy here outright lies and straight denies God's word and says, you're not going to die. It's not that bad. That's an outright denial of God's word. But notice, we don't get there first. That's what we think happens in our family. That, that, that it's all about first the denying of God's word. It doesn't start there. It starts with doubt, distortion, and then denial. But here's the kicker. The enemy says... Here's why God said that. Because God's holding out on you. Oh, dude, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Have you ever had that with a side of Chick-fil-A sauce? Oh, dude, that's the best food in the garden. God is holding out on you. Of course he said no. Because if you do that, you will be like God. And ladies and gentlemen, Right there, you have the greatest temptation known to man from the foundations of the earth. That humanity, from this moment forward, has believed this lie. 
that we can go around God to be our own God. Absolutely. That's why Jesus says things like, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, oh, you are somebody who lives in the kingdom? Then show me where you spend your money. Show me your calendar, and I'll show you what you really love. Why does money and time, why are those so significant? Because those are things that we utilize to either serve God or to be our own God. And every family struggles with the temptation of, well, this is just how it's going to be in our family. This is just the way I am. And they got to do it. You can unfriend me. You can unfollow me. Sorry, this is just ain't wrong. What you're saying is, um, God, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it our way. We doubt it. We distort it. Then we deny it. And then it leads us to the greatest temptation that the family faces is to be your own God. Parents, singles, grandparents, please listen to me. This is the temptation that we face. And then the last thing that I see is this. Then we just outright disobey God's word. Um, it says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of it and ate, and she gave some to her passive weak husband who was with... Oh, that's not... Sorry, that's in a different translation. Um, and he ate, and then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There's so much here. Genesis chapter 3 is probably one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Because it, it shows us the origins of everything. Notice how long it took us to get here to the disobey. Because then she starts to look at it. And then she desires it. And then she gives some to her husband. Interesting. Um, did you know that it's impossible for you to sin in isolation? But that's what we all think. We think, well, I'm not affecting anybody else. Wrong. And then it says this, their eyes were both opened and they knew that they were naked. Um, you have to understand something about an ancient culture. That nakedness was equated to shame. That's why when Jesus was crucified, it said that he was crucified naked. It's, it's about shame and guilt. What was the first emotion that Adam and Eve felt when they disobeyed God? I believe it was shame. I believe it was shame. And how many of us are shackled by shame in our families? Because of the divorce, because of the addiction, because of the disobedience now, you think that that sin defines you. And what do we do in response of it? We sew fig leaves together to try to cover ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the very first attempt at religion to try to cover ourselves of our shame and guilt. And this is how comedic it looks to God. So, so really quickly, I just 
What does the fall of the first family look like? It, it begins to doubt God's word. Did God really say? Then we start distorting it and do these gymnastics. Well, in the original language, what it really says is... And then we then start to deny it. Well, we're just not... That's old. That's outdated. We're just not going to do that. And then we disobey God's word. Um, really quickly, I have to ask... If the greatest fight in the world is the fight for the family, every family has an enemy, and it's about strategy, not strength. And this is the strategy. I have to ask you this. Where is your family at on this? Because as the old casting crown song says, you remember this? It's a slow fade. You don't crumble in a day. So are you the family that's like, eh, I'm just kind of, don't really know. Did God really say, um, are you distorting it? You know, in my dating life, I know God says this about sex and about dating, but I, or are you just here? We're not in my family. We are not going to do that. We are, or are you here in just outright disobedience? Listen, what's, what's the hope then for the family because I believe that this is the state of the average American family. What's the good news here? Um, I think we can summarize it this way. In the garden, Adam said, not thy will, but mine be done. That's the great sin. In the garden, we substituted God for ourselves. But praise be to God that there was a second Adam. In Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. You see, later on in Genesis 3, God makes a promise. And he says, I'm going to send a Savior through this broken family. And this Savior is going to restore the family back together. Listen, family is such a big deal to Jesus that some of his last dying words on the cross were about family. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopius, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, that's John, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, at a very basic level, this is Jesus taking care of his mom, saying, John, watch out. You know, it's kind of like Michael Corleone when he gets locked up and goes to prison, like, look out for my mom, right? But no, 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 it's so much more than that. Here, here's the sentence. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus fought to death for the family. That's what it's about. That, every, that the greatest fight in the world is for the family. And God gives us hope through Jesus restoring a new family. So listen, in closing, I just want to ask you this. Thank you so much for hanging out. If you're there in the chapel, if you're watching this online, I want this to be the question that you just ponder and sort of meditate and marinate on, and it's this. What if I shifted my focus from fighting in my family to fighting for my family? 
What would that look like for you? What if you realize that, man, my spouse is not my enemy, my kids, my, my dating life, my, those people are not my enemy. There's an enemy that's fighting against us, and my job is to fight for my family. Listen, Westside, I believe that if we take this serious, you'll see your family change forever. And the good news is this, is that Jesus has fought the battle and he's won. That the grave is empty and the throne is occupied. And that if anybody should call upon the name of the Lord and confess that they are a sinner and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that they would be saved and they would be brought into the family of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that we are able to know the truth and the truth will set us free. And the truth is this, that the family is in a fight, but Jesus has fought to the death for the family. God, I pray for each and every family watching this, for every household, for every person dating, for every single uh, person, for every empty nester, for every parent raising toddlers or teenagers, no matter what it is. At the end of the day, God, we know that there is an enemy, but we declare, and right now we pray against the enemy, his workers and their effects, that the enemy has been defeated. God, we declare that right now over every family's life. And we declare the shed blood of Jesus Christ over those homes. God, strengthen us for this fight. Give us wisdom because it is about strategy. And may we be aware of the drift that can happen in our families. Holy Spirit, empower us. And may we shift from fighting in our families to fighting for our families. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.